So, can you turn please to John chapter 10? John chapter 10. As I said a few moments ago, we're looking at the discipline of listening to and hearing God. And this also has got me thinking about another topic, sort of a related topic that we might take on next week. And that is the fear of failure, the fear of making mistakes. Uh, so just a wee heads up that that's the, the idea for next week. John chapter 10, I'm going to read the first five verses. And I'm also going to read uh, one verse from later on in the chapter. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And then verse 27, Jesus again says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. There are some fundamental aspects of who God is that it doesn't take long to figure them out reading your Bible or being around the church. Everybody knows that God is love. I mean, that's just a, a clear declaration of Scripture and a characteristic of God that we see throughout the Bible and we experience in our own lives as we walk with Him. God is love. God is a creator. He makes things. And another aspect of God's character is that he speaks right from the very first verses of your Bible to the end. God is speaking. He is not distant. He is not just listening to what people say and watching. He is actually engaging and he is speaking into people's lives. And listening to God, therefore, is a discipline of the Holy Spirit. It is a means by which we position ourselves and open our ears to hear him so that through obedience and through having our minds renewed, our lives can be transformed. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us that the Spirit reveals things about God to us. Deep things are revealed by the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that you will notice as you read the whole Bible is that there's a huge shift after the day of Pentecost in terms of how people are guided by God. In the Old Testament, there are lots of different means of being guided. And people will go to the prophet. People will use thing called the Urim and Thummim. They will cast lots, different ways of, uh, of hearing and receiving guidance from God. But after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, there is a huge shift as people begin a life of walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit. God still speaks through prophecy after the day of Pentecost, and he still speaks through dreams and still speaks through visions. 
But you don't read of the apostles going and looking for those things. You read of them walking in the Spirit. You read of them following closely with Jesus after Jesus. You read of them in intimacy, in prayer with God and and in study of his word. They don't go after dreams and visions, but God reveals things to them sometimes through dreams and visions. Whenever the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, there was a huge shift in what it meant to live as one of God's people because his spirit now was indwelling his people and guiding us from within. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So part of following Jesus involves listening. And Jesus, as always, sets the example. If, you, if you're in John 10, turn left a couple of pages and go to John 5 to you see just how Jesus actually exercised this in his own life. In John 5 verse 19, Jesus tells the, the people that he's speaking to, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So he can do only what he sees his father doing. And then in John 12, at the very end of John 12, there's a couple of verses. Verse 49 of John 12, Jesus says, I did not speak of my own accord, but the father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. He also says in John 14, 10, the words I speak are not my own. Jesus sets the example of being a listener, getting into God's presence, listening to God, hearing his voice, and then he goes and he speaks out what God has said. Jesus didn't just get up in the morning and decide what he was going to do for the day and think, I've had a great idea, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Jesus shut himself away with God. As Linda taught last week about solitude and silence, he shut himself away with God. And instead of going to God and saying, God, here's all the things that I'm going to do today, Jesus' posture was one of, Father, what are you doing that I can join with today? And that's got to be the posture of the church because what the church looks like in Tandragee will be different from what the church looks like in Manhattan or Nairobi or Moscow. The church in a, in a, in a location has to be listening to God. God, what are you doing in this location, in this town, among this people in this time in history. What are you doing, Lord, that you want us to align ourselves with and participate in? Not that we just roll up with a bunch of great ideas because we read some books and went some different places and we're going to try to do the same thing, but know that we come in slowly listening. God, what is on your heart for this town? What does this town need? What does it look like for this town to be loved by the people of God? And Jesus listened, first of all, for his father's words before he went out and spoke them. So if we aim to have a relationship with God, then we have to expect that God will speak directly to us. 
So I am a firm believer that God communicates with individuals. I'll put a few sort of boundaries around that as we go along. I'll give some cautions and I'll give some uh, ideas or hints and tips sounds a bit loose, but, but basically ways in which to hear God's voice and to listen and follow his leading. And this is not a new thing. John Calvin spoke about the inner testimony of the Holy Spirit moving on his heart. St. Ignatius spoke about the movements of the soul, desires and thoughts and feelings that had come to him directly from God. It is possible to hear God, to receive guidance and to be led. And it isn't just sometimes about decisions that we have to make. Sometimes we think of guidance as something that we go for whenever we're trying to choose a new job or decide who to marry or where to live and we think guidance is just for big decisions. No, hearing God's voice can be about different things. It could just be the simple but powerful affirmation that you're loved, that that you are in his presence some morning or some day or you're just driving the car out and about or somebody says something to you and you know the stirring of the spirit of God in your heart telling you that you are loved that you are precious in his sight you've just heard God all right you might not have changed your career or moved house but you've just heard God listening to him and it's a it's a It can also happen in a sort of a slightly negative way. It's not negative, but it seems negative in that God speaking to you and you listening and being guided could be about some aspect of your life that he wants you to change. It could be about a mindset, an attitude, a a way of thinking that is not pleasing to him, a sinful pattern that he's starting to put his finger on. You're hearing God. And even though sometimes that, that voice can bring conviction still the joy of actually hearing God's voice speaking to you. I had a wee moment out in the garden yesterday where uh, I felt God saying to me, take your earphones out. Because I was, I was outside and I was at my vegetable beds clearing away some stuff to make room for cabbages because my children love cabbage so much. And as I was doing that, I have a habit of multitasking and having a podcast on at the same time. But Samuel was playing football in the garden And I looked over at him at one point and realized he's talking to me, but I can't hear him because I have my earphones in. And the simple concept, it's not rocket science, it's not a great divine breakthrough that if I've got my earphones in, I can't hear somebody else speaking to me. And that's nothing new to you, but if you try to then hang one earphone out, so you've got your podcast coming in one ear and somebody speaking to you in the other ear, that doesn't work either. You've got to take the earphones out. And what we do in life sometimes is we fill our lives with so much noise and distraction, and it's good. I was listening to a sermon yesterday by a friend of mine, and it was good stuff, uh, but it still was removing my ability to listen to Samuel. I couldn't hear him because I had something else in my ears. And sometimes one reason why we fail to hear God is because we're not listening. It's quite simple. We, we can lament about how, oh, I can't hear God. I need God's guidance and I need his direction. And just the simple question has to be asked, are we listening? 
Have we took away the distractions and the noises and actually positioned ourselves in a way that we can hear him? Or are we engaging in what John Ortberg calls spiritual mindlessness, where you're just coasting and floating along and not really giving any attention to God? Have you ever been reading a book and you've got to the bottom of the page and then realized, I have no idea what I just read? Or have you ever arrived in work someday after a 20-minute drive and parked the car in the car park and thought, this is a bit worrying, but thought to yourself, I have no idea how I got here. I just mindlessly on autopilot have driven 10 miles or whatever to work and I can't remember any, any part of it. We can just sometimes drift through life in a state of mindlessness and we do that with God. Isaiah says in chapter 55 verse 3, incline, or God speaking through Isaiah says, incline your ear to me. Incline your ear to me. If you ever find it difficult to hear somebody and you just sort of instinctively turn your head around, you, you point your ear at them a little bit, you incline in order to be able to hear them. And God says, you need to incline your ear. You need to listen. You need to pay attention. It's not that I'm not speaking. I am speaking. You're not listening. And it takes time and it takes discipline. It is a discipline. It's like Linda again mentioned last week about going to the chair, about sitting down in, in solitude and in silence and just stilling and calming your heart to listen. Do we do that? Or are we constantly going through life with earphones in, mind full of noise and distraction, God's right beside us speaking, but we can't hear him? A couple of wrong ideas about guidance before I look at some of the means by which God speaks to us. Uh, the promptings or the, the leading of the Spirit is not something that is just for leaders or, or people who are somehow or think themselves to be spiritually elite. This is for everybody. And leaders can abuse this by sometimes having the attitude of, well, I've heard God and I'm going to do this no matter what. That is not right. Okay? But the, you've got to understand that every single child of God, every follower of Jesus can hear the shepherd's voice. It is not something that is exclusive for some small secret group of people. And it's also not a badge of spiritual maturity to have heard God. God can speak to anyone, old or young, whether, whether they are uh, deeply, deeply sort of uh, immersed in the scriptures or whether they're completely new to it and whether they've walked with him for years or whether they're just beginning on a journey. In fact, there are many reports of God speaking to people in the Muslim world before, he has, before they've even started to follow him. There are many accounts of, of Muslims encountering Jesus in dreams and then whispering to each other on street corners and outside shops, have you seen the man in white? because he has appeared to them in dreams. God can speak to anyone. And one of the best biblical illustrations of this is back in Numbers, I think it's chapter 23, where God reveals something to a donkey. Balaam is sitting on the donkey and Balaam cannot see an angel that is standing in front of him and blocking the donkey's way. But the donkey can see it. 
The donkey receives revelation and understanding from God. So just because uh, somebody has heard from God does not make them some spiritual guru. And we have here the profound biblical truth that you can hear God and still be an ass. That's the moral of the story from Balaam's donkey. And that's probably the most tweetable and memorable part of this sermon. The means of guidance then that God uses to speak to his people. First and foremost is this, the Bible. All right? He will never, ever speak in a way that contradicts the written word of God. Never. He will never contradict what is already in this book. Psalm 119 says that, that his word is a light for our feet and a lamp for our path. That's guidance. That is guidance. You want to know where to go, where to put your next step, where to walk, what path to follow. You need to be reading God's word. Not just in small snippets. I do encourage you to use devotionals and things like that and, and read a little bit and then have somebody's thoughts helping to explain that for you. That's good. And I would say with that, make sure you're covering the ground in the Word of God, that you're reading through it good chunks at a time, getting to know the whole book year after year after year after year. And you could then say, but the Bible doesn't tell me what job to do. And it doesn't tell me who to marry or what car to buy or what house to buy. The Bible doesn't tell me those things. And the point is not so much about, about the Bible telling you something. It's more about as you immerse yourself in the Word of God, it will change how you think. It might sometimes tell you what to do. It might not tell you what to do, but it will change how you think. Your mind will be renewed as you spend time reading this book. That in itself, as we said a couple of months ago, is a discipline of the Spirit to be meditating on the Scriptures. God will cause you to think differently as you read His Word. So that's the first one, the most obvious one, and you can go back if you want and listen to a previous message about meditating on God's Word. Second one, which is also blindingly obvious, is prayer. Prayer is a conversation have you ever been in a conversation with somebody who doesn't let you talk? Because they're just talking the whole time. Um, right now, that's probably what I'm doing. But people just talk the whole time you, and you're sitting there and you can't get a word in edgeways. Somebody phones you and you lift the phone and say hello and they say hello and then begin to talk. And 15 minutes later, you still haven't said anything else. And for all they know, you're not even there. How do we think we can hold a conversation with God? If we just do all the talking and then run away. Don Carson sort of humorously calls it rap door run, where we go up to God's door, knock on the door and then run off whenever he comes to answer it. But that's what some of us do in our, in our prayer lives. We need to develop the discipline of listening to God, coming to him in prayer, bringing things to him, but then listening, letting him speak, letting him stir our hearts, keeping quiet for a while. The, the spiritual discipline of shutting up for long enough that you can actually hear God. 
And those are our two means. I'm going to look at more, but those are two of the clearest means to hear the shepherd's voice. If you listen again to, to from John 10, Jesus, Jesus says that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And he talks about how the sheep know the voice of the shepherd and they will not follow the voice of a stranger. Simple farming illustration. When a shepherd, a sheep farmer goes into a field and calls, the sheep recognize his voice and they come to him. When somebody else does it, they just stand there looking at them or else run in the opposite direction. That's the point Jesus is making here. And the way you get to know the shepherd's voice is by spending time with him. Through the word of God, through prayer, you become more and more able to hear the voice of the shepherd and not fall for the voice of a stranger. I think there are a lot of people in the Christian West at the minute who are hearing the voice of a stranger. A lot of Christians who are making lifestyle decisions that are contrary to God's word. And they're trying to say, I am a Christian and I can live like this. And they've listened to the voice of a stranger. If they were immersed in the truth of God's word, and if they were immersed in a life of prayer and intimacy with God, they would not be tricked by the voice of a stranger. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. You need to know the shepherd. Don't start looking for fancy ways of hearing from God if you won't just discipline to the basics of his word and prayer. Another means of hearing God, I'm going to give you a few. I'm only going to linger on one or two of them. Uh, One of them that I want to linger on for a moment or two is, is your heart. Go to Psalm 37, please. Psalm 37. And from Psalm 37, I'll jump to to Jeremiah 17. We'll go to Psalm 37 first. It says in in verse 3, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. I believe that as you walk with God, God will cause you to desire the things that he desires. So whenever this says he will give you the desires of your heart, I believe he will actually not just give you the thing that you're desiring after, but he'll give you the desire itself. He will give you a longing in your heart for the thing that he wants you to do. He'll give you the desire itself, and then he'll give you the outcome as you follow him in that. Um, That then causes some people to jump to Jeremiah 17 and say, you can't listen to your heart. Let me read a verse in Jeremiah 17 that I think some of us can misunderstand. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. So right now I'm telling you to listen to your heart when it comes to discerning God's will and his guidance. But Jeremiah 17 9 says, The heart is deceitful. Now, I don't think Jeremiah is talking about the heart of a Christian. 
I don't think he's talking about the heart of a person who has been filled with the Holy Spirit and is following Jesus. Because when you read the rest of Jeremiah 17, for example, verse 1 says that sin is inscribed on the tablets of their hearts. When you read verse 5, you read about the man whose heart is turned away from the Lord. And then verse 9 says the heart is deceitful. He's not talking, I believe, about the hearts of the people of God who are following after God. He's talking about the hearts of people who are turned away from God. Their hearts will deceive them. But if you're walking with God, let me tell you about your heart. Turn a couple more pages to the right to Ezekiel 36, and I'll tell you about the heart that you have. Ezekiel 36, one of my favorite little portions in the whole of the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, 26. Listen to what God says, what he promises about your heart. He says, I will give you a new heart. The heart is deceitful. All right, I am going to give you a new heart. And what's this heart going to be like? I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. That heart that has sin engraved on it and that is deceitful, I will remove it, God says, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I think that is one of the most beautiful Old Testament passages summing up what it means to be born again, a new heart. And I believe as you seek to hear God, you can trust your heart. And I'll put on that the condition and the parameter that you have a life of prayer and you have a life in God's word. That you're not just coming up with random notions, but you're disciplined, you're walking with God, you're following Jesus. I believe you can then trust the desires of your heart. What is your heart screaming at you? If your heart is yearning after something, could it be that that is God putting that desire in you because he wants you to do that very thing? And I think the worst thing you can possibly do then is say to yourself, my heart is yearning for this, but my heart is deceitful and therefore I can't do that. That's the thing that makes me feel alive. That's the thing where I I joy. That's the thing that I'm good at. That's the thing that I could gladly spend the rest of my life doing. I'm walking with God and I'm, I'm in his word and prayer, but my heart's deceitful, so I better not do that thing. I better go and find something else to do that I don't like. That is not, I believe, a a right attitude to the desires of your heart. Gordon Fee, who has influenced me hugely in terms of his his teaching and his writings, he was in conversation with a friend uh, many decades ago now. He was a much younger man. And he was talking about what he wanted to do as, as as a career. He wanted to teach. And he wanted to teach God's word. And his friend said to him, and you need to listen to this carefully to actually get it, because it exposes an attitude that I think a lot of us can have. His friend said to him, Gordon, just because you want to do it does not mean that it is not God's will for you. Now listen to that again. Just because you want to do it does not then mean that it is not God's will for you. I think some of us have this 
wrong view of who God is that we almost think, if I really want to do something, then surely God won't let me. Surely it couldn't be God's will for my life because God's will for my life has to involve doing something horrible that I don't want to do. That is completely wrong-headed. Just because you want to do it does not mean it's not God's will for you. Trust the yearnings of your heart as you walk with God because those desires that he puts within you could be the very thing that he wants you to give your life and your energy to. Take it seriously. Likewise, if you're about to make a decision and your heart is just screaming at you that it's wrong, you're just totally uneasy about it, you hate the thought of it, and you're trying to silence your heart and you're saying, heart, shut up, you're deceitful, I don't want to listen to you, that's dangerous as well. Listen to what the inner man is saying. Listen to what the spirit within you is saying and putting within your heart. So we've got God's word, we've got prayer, we've got the new heart that he's given to us. Other ways that you can hear from God, get guidance, uh, is, is your circumstances themselves that can force things to happen. In Acts chapter 8, the church was persecuted and they scattered and brought the gospel to lots of different places. Another way of hearing God and, and receiving guidance and making decisions is using your common sense. That's okay. God's given that to you. Spiritual gifts in the church, such as prophecy, uh, can help you to find your way in certain issues. God still speaks in visions and he speaks in dreams. And I've encountered all of those things in ways that have provided tremendous guidance and help in life. And the Holy Spirit will frequently use these things together. You'll have a dream and then you'll be with somebody and they will say something to you and then you'll be reading God's word and praying and a verse or something will hit you and it all coalesces together to give you the guidance that you're craving after. The last one that I want to just linger on as we finish is guidance in community. Um, Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. This is something that people don't think about that much when they're thinking about guidance as a Christian. And that, I think, is to our detriment that we don't think of this instinctively. I think a lot of us face big decisions in life and we have this mindset that we have got to figure it out ourselves. That we can't consult, that we can't seek advice, that we can't gather others around us to help us to make a decision, but that we have to somehow make these huge moves on our own. Richard Foster points out in his, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, much of the teaching on divine guidance in the last hundred years has been noticeably deficient on the corporate aspect of it. We have received excellent instruction on how God leads us through scripture, through reason, through circumstances, through the promptings of the Spirit upon the individual heart. But we have heard little about how God leads through his people, the body of Christ. When God called the children of Israel and led them out of Egypt, he led them as a people. We are part of the people of God. And God, when you read through the scriptures of God speaking to someone, the vast majority of times he's doing that, 
He's doing it in order to lead his people, the people being led together, the corporate community. Everyone in the Exodus saw the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. It was not just Moses that saw it. Everybody saw it. The whole community together were led by God together. This is vital. It's not as if Moses was led by God and completely separate from him, Joshua was led by God and they bumped into each other one day a few years later in the wilderness and said, ah, it's yourself. Fancy meeting you here. Let's start a wee group. No, the whole people together were called out and led as a people. And in the New Testament church, it is similar. Let me look at a couple of occasions in Acts 13 and then in Acts 15. If you've got big decisions to make, if you need to hear God about things, get a trusted group around you. Bring it to the prayer meeting, or but somehow bring it to the community of faith. doesn't mean you have to stand up and announce it to everybody, but bring it to the community of faith and seek God together about it. Because God has ordained that we are in a family and in a community and he leads in that context. Look at the start of Acts 13 where Barnabas and and Paul are sent off on on a mission. Verse, Verse 1, in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. And then we've got a list of a few names, Barnabas and Saul among them. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. In that place where they are together, seeking God together, worshiping God together, the Holy Spirit speaks and provides guidance to them. They were not just locked away on their own, in their own homes, in a darkened room, fasting and seeking God. They were together. And the Holy Spirit spoke into that gathered community. And in Acts 15, the church faces one of its biggest challenges in that some of the Christians are teaching that you need to follow the ways of the Jewish religion, particularly circumcision. If you want to be part of God's people, even as a Christian, they're teaching you need to be circumcised. And this comes back to Paul and Barnabas, and they get really troubled about it. And what they do is they gather everybody together in Jerusalem. The apostles, some of the Pharisees who have started to follow Jesus but are still clinging to their old religious mindset, they get together in a group and they deal with it together. They talk about it. They discuss it. Uh, Peter speaks. And then Paul and Barnabas speak. And then James speaks. And they all listen to one another in that corporate atmosphere. And they seek God about it. And then at the end, in Acts 15, 28, here's what they say when they write a letter to the people. They said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, and to us. They got together and discussed the matter together. It wasn't just that one person swung in and said, I've heard God and this is what we're doing. They all listened. 
They all conversed. They all prayed. And the Spirit led them to a decision to make on behalf of the church. Bringing things to, together for discussion and decision is really important. The early church did not work with democracy. Democracy is good. All right? Voting for things is not bad. Occasionally voting for things is fine. But it's not the ideal. The ideal is that God's people together, led by the Spirit, are united in making a decision. That they listen and pray and discuss and come to a united, Spirit-led decision. It's not a case of, right, ten people talked about this, six wanted to go one way, four wanted to go the other way, we'll go with the six. That is not the ideal. The ideal is that all ten, after prayer and discussion and worship, are led by the Spirit to agree. That's the ideal in the New Testament. One of the things that we have been thinking about lately as a church, and we're, we're doing this uh, already t- together we have shared this with the church on, on our social media group. We have prayed about it on Tuesday nights. We have shared our heart initially of something that God has burdened Linda and I with over the years, Linda in particular, and we have prayed about it and we have an increasing urgency and we've now brought it to the community for prayer. And it's been lovely this last few Tuesday nights to just be praying into that together as a church and not feel that it is one or two people making a decision and just saying, well, we're in leadership and we're doing this, but that it's being brought for the whole church to pray it into being. It's a lovely thing. And Paul goes on later then in his writings to talk about the church as a body. We need one another. Even the most mature person needs the body of Christ, other Christians. So you've got to be really careful, folks, about making big decisions in complete isolation and not having the humility to go to others and say, listen, this is where I am. Can you two or three people go on a journey with me for a few weeks, for a few months? Can you pray with me into this? Can we meet a couple of times and just can we wait on God together and see that I can make this decision in a way that is led by the Spirit in Christian community? And another way to do that is to have what's called a spiritual director. Um, That basically is, is, is a mentor, someone you can go to and you can bounce things off. Someone who's more mature, been on the road a while longer and has seen a bit more than you have. Uh, I sat in, in, a, in a dark and difficult time. I sat with a friend from Scotland in a restaurant in Moira one day and I, and I offloaded to him. And as he was chatting to me, he quoted a scripture, a scripture that I've known practically all my life, that I memorized as a child, that I had probably read within a couple of months of, of speaking to him. And whenever he spoke it to me, suddenly all the confusion cleared up and everything became clear, absolutely clear, black and white, not even black and white, full color, completely clear because he had spoken God's word to me. But I had to be willing to open my heart, to put it on the table in trusted, loving community and then listen. And as I listened, I heard God. And that maybe is one of the most important things. If you're trying to make a decision about something in life, instead of just banging your head against the wall on your own, you maybe need to find some trusted Christian friends. It could be two or three. It could be the whole prayer meeting and sit down and say, this is where I am. Will you please come with me on this? 
and bless me in it. Finally, as I close, some questions to ask yourself if you're trying to make decisions. These are from uh, Ruth Haley Barton in a book about discerning God's will and pursuing God's will together. So I'm just going to run through these questions and then I'm done. And you can go back to the audio or whatever and you can listen to them again if they're, if they're valuable to you. So regarding choices that you have to make, she says, how does this choice fit with the overall direction and calling on my life? Which choice brings the deepest sense of life, peace, and freedom? What is my deepest and most authentic desire relative to the choice that I am facing? What scripture is God bringing to mind relative to this choice? Is the choice consistent with what I know about the mind and heart of Christ and his loving, redemptive purposes in the world? What is God doing in my character and spiritual growth? And will this choice continue to nurture this growth? And here's one of the most important ones. What does love call for in this situation? Will this decision allow me to show God's love for others? Whatever that choice is. And you maybe you want something huge to happen to help you make the choice. And it could be as simple as this. By doing this thing, will I be able to show the love and the character of God to people? And particularly to people who don't know him. That can be a great question. Here's one that sounds a little morbid, but I think it's very powerful and I think about it frequently. If I imagine myself on my deathbed, reflecting upon my life, what choice would I wish I had made? Play it safe and never know, or take the risk and see how it goes. And how does this choice fit with others' observations about who I am and what God is doing in my life? That again is bringing the thing into community. So living like that can be, can, is a discipline. To listen to God, to make the time, to make the space, to take the earphones out, to be in the Word, to be in prayer, to have your heart constantly influenced by the Holy Spirit, to be in community with others and take the time to go on a journey with them. That takes time, but the results can be staggering. And you can then make decisions and make moves in life with trust in God and with the support of brothers and sisters around you in the Christian community. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Amen. Next week, we're going to continue with a sort of that theme and, and move into the fear of, of making mistakes and how to actually approach that from a, from a Christian point of view. Uh, so thanks so much for listening, and hopefully in about half an hour, just over half an hour, uh, we'll see a few of you with some sausages and burgers out in the courtyard. Uh, that'll be a delight. God bless you. Have a great week. Bye.